Hi, and welcome to This is True Crime, y'all. I'm your host, Melissa Anderson, and today's case is going to be about the murder of Michelle Karen Michonne and John Joseph Stevens and the attempted murder of their neighbor, Michael Fisher. Now, although there are several cases of cannibalism and people eating other people's faces off on bad salts, this case is like those, but it's also a little bit different. We're going to be talking about the defendant, Austin Kelly Haruf, and the events that took place um, on August 15th in 2016 in Jupiter, Florida. Now, when I was trying to decide uh, in what order I should put um, certain things in this episode, I thought that we should get started on exactly what happened that night. And we're going to do that according to the police officer's testimony and the testimony of the neighbor who was almost killed as well. I apologize in advance for any paper like rustling sounds you may hear as I went really old school on this case and printed out everything because there was a lot of psychological evaluations, a lot of news stories, and just a lot of information. So just to get the facts out of the way, I'm going to read from the complaint affidavit from the Martin County Sheriff's Office, from Detective Eugene L. Marqueda. The defendant is Austin Kelly Haruf from Jupiter, Florida. His description is aged 19, race white, sex male, date of birth 12-21-1996. He is six foot tall and weighs 200 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. The complaint filed against him is for two counts of first-degree premeditated murder, one count of attempted first-degree murder with a weapon, one count resisting arrest without violence, and one count of burglary of a dwelling with battery while being armed. The incident, the date and time of occurrence is 8-15-2016 and the time is 11-20 p.m. The location of the incident is at 19010 Southeast Kokomo Lane in Jupiter, Florida in Martin County. The victims, as stated before, are John Joseph Stevens, born 7257, Michelle Karen Michonne, born 3-14-63, and Jeffrey Michael Fisher, born 9-25-68. The affidavit then goes on with the narrative. On 8-15-2016, at about 21-20 hours, or 11-20 p.m., the Martins County Sheriff's Office received a 911 call in which a male stated that he had just been stabbed and the suspect was still there. The location of the stabbing was at 19010 South Kokomo Lane. The 911 caller was identified as Jeffrey Michael Fisher and was transported to St. Mary's Hospital to be treated for his injuries. When the first deputy, Grace Zopp, arrived, she observed the suspect identified now as Austin Kelly Haruf choking and biting a male later identified as John Joseph Stevens. 
Stevens, who passed away from his injuries sustained from the suspect. Deputy Zoff stated that the suspect was biting the victim and spitting out his flesh. The deputy stated that the suspect was wearing a blue shirt and silky boxers. Deputy Zoft then ordered the suspect off of the victim at gunpoint, but the suspect continued to bite and rip off flesh from the victim. Deputy Zoft then used her taser on the suspect and attempted to handcuff him, but she was overpowered by the suspect and could not do so safely. At this point in time, Deputy Wayne Trocan arrived and attempted to control the suspect, but the suspect kept biting the victim. A Tequesta canine officer showed up on scene and deployed his dog. The dog was able to latch on to the suspect's arm, but the suspect continued to bite and rip flesh off of the victim. Deputy Trocan, along with the dog, still biting the suspect's arm, was able to get one arm into handcuffs and dragged the suspect off of the victim. Deputy Zoff stated that the suspect yelled at the deputy, Fucking kill me. Fucking kill me now. Shoot me now. I deserve to die. Deputy Trocan stated that when he arrived on the scene, he noticed Deputy Zoff attempting to control the suspect, who had a male wrapped in his arms and was biting the face and attempting to rip off the victim's cheek with his mouth. Deputy Trocan noticed that the victim, John Stevens, had multiple stab wounds to the torso area and was bleeding profusely. Deputy Trocan attempted to remove the suspect by using his taser, but the suspect would not let go of the victim. Deputy Trocan began kicking the suspect in the head, which temporarily caused him to let go of the victim. But then the suspect grabbed the victim again and began to chew the victim's face once more. A Tequesta canine officer arrived and gave an order for the suspect to let the victim go and comply with their lawful order. The Tequesta officer informed everyone that he was deploying his dog once he noticed the suspect was not complying. The canine was deployed and latched onto the arm of the suspect, who was still holding on to and chewing the victim. Deputy Trocan, along with the other officers and canine, were then able to handcuff and remove the suspect at this time. He was later transported to the hospital for his injuries. The detective goes on to say, I interviewed the victim, Jeffrey Fisher, who stated that on 8-15-16, at about 11-15, he was going into his bed when he heard a female screaming. Jeffrey went to the front door to see what was going on. Jeffrey observed a white male hitting a female, Michelle Michon, inside of the garage located directly across the street from his home. Jeffrey went across the street and entered the garage of this location where the suspect was hitting the female. Jeffrey stated that as he entered the garage, the female victim was lying in a pool of blood and was not moving or saying anything. The female victim, identified as Michelle Karen Michon, was pronounced deceased as a result of her injuries sustained from the suspect. Jeffrey stated to me the suspect told him, You don't want to. You don't want this. You don't want no part of this. 
The suspect then struck Jeffrey on the side of his head and continued to hit him. Jeffrey noticed he was bleeding from the head area where the suspect had struck him. At this time, Jeffrey was able to hit the suspect and pull the suspect to the ground. Jeffrey ran through the house trying to get away from him. Jeffrey was able to go through the sliding glass doors into the yard and then back to his home where he noticed he was stabbed multiple times and dialed 911. Jeffrey stated that as he was trying to get away, he heard the suspect yelling, but he did not know what he was saying. The medical examiner conducted an autopsy on John Stevens and Michelle Michon and ruled that the cause of their death was indeed a homicide. The cause of death for John Stevens was multiple injuries and the cause of death for Michelle Michon was blunt force trauma. The other victim, Jeffrey Fisher, suffered multiple stab wounds, one large cut to his head that caused bleeding and multiple staples, a puncture wound to his lower back, and he also required exploratory surgery to his stomach due to bleeding and suffered a broken thumb. Now that you know what actually happened, we're going to go into the day leading up to that and the days before because there is some really weird shit going on with this young man. And when I tell you the things that he searched for and the things that his family said, I believe you will tend to agree with me. So we're going to go into Austin Haroff's account of his activities on the day in question. Now this is Austin's account as he is speaking to the psychiatrist for the prosecution. Mr. Haruf said that when he woke up on Monday, August 15th, he put on a Michael Vick jersey. He did this because he believed he had a special relationship to dogs. He initially thought that Michael Vick was a bad guy due to his whole dog fu Really? Yes, of course he's a bad fucking guy. But then he became a good guy. Okay, I'm not sure if that's valid, but okay, Austin. He felt in a great mood. He wore aviator sunglasses because he thought they would protect him from evil. Mr. Roof went to the beach by himself Monday morning and, quote, ran like an animal, end quote. He felt like an animal who could run really fast. He jumped from rock to rock like an acrobat with special powers who was capable of jumping very high. Sometimes he felt like he was half dog, half man. And at other times, he felt he was half horse, half man. He felt a special relationship to dogs. He saw dogs at the beach and thought that was really cool because he too was part dog and part man. He was convinced that this was true at the time. He thought that the other dog's hair was attaching to his face. He felt good about being half dog, half man. Austin then went on to say that he had heightened intuition, which he described as a sixth sense that allowed him to read people. He could tell if people were good or evil. A man from some distance said, hey, Austin, and acted like he knew him. Mr. Haruf thought he was an angel and he did not fear this man. Mr. Haruf walked and ran to his father's house to get his car, which had been left there the previous night. He estimated it was only three or four miles from his home. 
It was the first time he had ever walked or ran from his home to his father's home. I ran super fast, he said. He walked in the middle of the street in belief that nothing could hurt him. Cars went around him. He believed he was invincible. When he got to his father's house, Carrie, his father's live-in girlfriend, asked him to fix the XM radio on the boat. He helped them move a paddleboard, and then his father came home over the lunch hour. His father wanted him to take Xanax and handed him a bottle of Xanax, but he wouldn't take any. He was feeling invincible and was certain that he knew best, so he did not listen to his father. His father took physical hold over his car keys. He jumped on his father's car hood and the car roof, so his father gave him back the keys to the car. Austin said that his father followed him in his own car to a jewelry store that he drove to in order to have his watch band fixed. By the jewelry store, Austin agreed to put a Xanax in his mouth. He took the Xanax tablet out of his mouth and wrote on the side of his car, don't trust, with the Xanax pill. He then stated that he went to Sam Polachek's house, but he did not text him in advance as he usually would. He jumped on Sam's car pretty hard because he felt like an acrobat. While he was with Sam at the beach, his sister Haley called, so they picked her up and drove back to the beach. He, Sam, and Haley ran into five of his fraternity brothers. He was feeling, quote, distance, end quote, in his head, so he walked away from them. He said he was feeling godlike. He felt a special relationship to God. He believed his anatomy was changing and he was getting bigger and more muscular. He felt like he was in charge of his own destiny and had supernatural powers. He felt that he knew, quote, all the religions, end quote. He felt that God was speaking to him through his actions. Then the trio went to a gas station and he bought some nuts and natural stuff. Okay. He continued to feel he was either half horse, half man, or half dog, half man. His feelings continually switched between the two. Mr. Haruf said that he, Sam, and Haley then went to the home of one of his fraternity brothers named Dave Yates. Others at the house smoked weed and drank alcohol, but he did not. He took a beer and poured it in his left hand. He thought that he absorbed the beer through his hand. Quote, like I was feeding my hand, end quote. Mr. Haruf played with the lacrosse ball and jumped around. He kept leaving to go into the woods to be with nature. This was him relating to his feeling of feeling like an animal. When they left, his sister did not want him to drive because before that he had made an illegal U-turn at a red light. When he got in the car with Haley driving, he climbed into the hatchback because he said he felt like a dog. He then told Sam and Haley that he had a sixth sense. The three of them went to his father's house where he changed clothes. He put on a hat and wore it backward in the belief that it would, quote, propel me forward, end quote. Mr. Haruf, Sam, Haley, and his father then walked on a nature trail. He saw two turtle shells that were empty. This made him think that his father was slow like a turtle. He feared that his father would die. He believed there was danger from, an, danger from an evil spirit. He took out the knife that he purchased at the gun show earlier that day and attempted to take a leadership role. 
However, his father told him, put the knife away. He thought everyone told him to run, so he sprinted. He tried to get out of the development and jumped over a wall. He next recalled that Carrie appeared with a car, and the four of them went to Duffy's for dinner. And this, my friends, is where it gets even weirder. This whole thing is so strange. And if I had not read several psychologist reports, I would honestly think this guy was just kind of making this up. But it honestly seems like he really believes all of these things. So while they were at the restaurant, he said he felt stuck at the table. He felt trapped because it took a long time to get service. He felt a need to leave and left Duffy's without telling anyone. He believed that he was an angel of death and Carrie was an angel of life. He felt the presence of the Grim Reaper. Mr. Haruf could not recall how he got to his mom's house. He had a vague recollection of throwing down his phone. He may have put on his Trump hat at this time that his father had given him. He, quote, put it on backwards so it would propel him forward, as he stated previously. He did not recall drinking Wesson oil at his mother's house, but he did recall being natural, like an animal. The way his mother reacted to him made him feel like his behavior was weird. And yes, his mother walks in on him, and he is literally drinking cooking oil that he had mixed with Parmesan cheese. So his mother drove him back to the restaurant. When he returned to Duffy's, his father grabbed him by the shirt. He pulled back his fist like he was going to hit him, but Carrie asked him not to, so he didn't. He then left the restaurant for a second time. He wanted to teach his father a lesson by walking home alone and showing him that he was able to get to his father's house without any assistance. He was feeling invincible. All he recalled was running and following the stars. There were no street lights on the road. He saw headlights come around the corner and he thought it was something evil. He turned toward the car to ward it off and the car drove away. About three quarters of the way to his father's home, Mr. Haruf saw a dark figure with a white face. He thought the figure was evil. The figure said, hey Austin. He recognized the voice as Daniel, a friend of his cousin from childhood. When he had known Daniel, he thought about him as a bad guy. He believed that Daniel was trying to kill him. He sprinted away, screaming with terror. He made a left turn and saw a white light from a garage. He ran toward the lighted garage to ask for help in getting home. He did not have a memory of what he planned to say, but he perceived the lighted garage as an area of safety in his terror. He next recalled seeing a woman in the garage and her screaming at him. He thought she was a witch because of the way she was screaming. He screamed when she screamed because he was scared. He did not recall having any conversation with her. He thinks she had brown hair. He was fearful and in a panic state from seeing the dark figure and hearing her screams. He was afraid that he would be harmed. He has a vague recollection of picking up a machete or something and stabbing the woman and biting her. He believed he was a dog at the time he was biting her. He was unsure of the sequence of events in the garage. 
His best recollection was that he drank a bottle of alcohol or something while in the garage after stabbing the woman. He next recalled seeing a guy in the doorway and a dog. I think I stabbed him too, he said. He has a recollection of a man with a mustache wearing a white shirt, but was uncertain whether this was the woman's husband or the neighbor who came over to help. He recalled the guy yelling at him. He was fearful when he stabbed the man. He did not recall biting the man. He had a vague recollection of a dog sitting in the passenger seat of a white truck. He has zero recollection of his encounter with the police. His next recollection is waking up in the hospital. One of the main points of contention in this case is Mr. Haruf's substance abuse. So we're going to talk a little bit about his past substance abuse. And then I'm going to tell you some interesting facts about his toxicology report on the night of the crime. He said that he had his first alcoholic drink at 17. He began drinking at parties at age 18. In college, he drank about three times a week, sometimes to the point of blacking out. Drinking was fun and he drank to be social. He felt some pressure to drink from his fraternity brothers. He said he never drank alone. He found it easier to be social and he was less anxious when he drank. In the summer of 2016, he stopped drinking because he was concerned about having a fit body. He reported that he began using marijuana as a high school senior. Don't most of us. In college, he used it about once each two weeks. In the early summer of 2016, he was using marijuana about every other day. He said that at first using marijuana was fun, and then he started using it to help him sleep. He stopped using it after he began to get weird feelings. He decided that he did not want to do any more drugs. On Friday, August 12th, he discarded marijuana, mushrooms, Adderall, and other drugs that he had used to study. He discarded his drugs in the presence of his mother and her boyfriend, Mr. Bud Mallow. At the time, he was concerned about purity, and he did not want to use anything which would interfere with his body. Upon specific inquiry on other street drugs, he said that in June 2016, he tried mushrooms once, LSD once, Molly once, and Xanax once. While in college, he used stimulants Vivanace or Vivance about six times and Adderall about four times to help him study. When the police reviewed his text messages beginning 10-25-15, he confirms his use of Vivance and Adderall. He also made multiple references to using mushrooms, Adderall, and cocaine. He texted his friend that he had been getting high every day because he is bored. He makes reference to being high on meth. He texts a drug dealer and wants to buy edibles and mushrooms. He texts his girlfriends and made reference to himself as being a drug addict. Now this, my friends, is the part that's going to blow your freaking mind. This is the result of the FBI laboratory analysis of urine and blood taken from Austin on 816 and 817. They found no evidence, none of any illicit drugs in his system with the exception of marijuana or THC. He did 
have um, an ethanol concentration of 0.175. His toxicology screenings, including testing for ethanol, flaca, antihistamines, benzodiazepines, cannabinoids, cocaine, metabolites, opioids, synthetic cannabinoids, and over-the-counter prescriptions and illicit drugs. And once again, the only thing he had in his system was a little bit of THC and some alcohol. And that right there blows my mind. And now we're going to get into Austin's own description of the events preceding August 15th, where he states that in the week before the accident or incident, I'm not sure I would call it an accident, he kept seeing dark shadows at night when he was in bed. He developed an insight into good and evil. He believed that evil forces were coming after him. He felt the presence of evil forces in his home. He had thoughts that the devil was out to get him and his sister Haley. He believed that all the people in his mother in his mother's home, sorry, were at risk of being killed, but he was especially fearful for Haley and himself. He moved his mattress from his new bedroom to his old bedroom so he could be closer to everyone. He made an effort to sleep in Haley's room both because of his own fear and in order to protect her. During some nights in the weeks before August 15th, he slept with their family dog, Hubble, to be protected by him. He felt a special relationship to Hubble and took Hubble for a walk, which he had not done before. He began to collect business cards from people on Saturday, August 13th. He believed that through their business cards, he could protect people. However, the next day, he thought the cards might have the opposite reaction, so of course he ripped them up. On Saturday, August 13th, he became more preoccupied with his horoscope and focused on the fact that as a Sagittarius, he was half horse and half man, in other words, a centaur. He observed horses with special interest when he went for a bike ride with his father and Carrie. When he heard a group of dogs barking, he got the feeling that the dog's souls were asking for his help. During dinner with his father and Carrie on that Saturday, he kept drinking water because he thought it would keep him youthful. He believed the water was related to the fountain of youth, and he would literally become younger by drinking the water. His father pressured him at dinner to have an alcoholic beverage to relax, but he didn't want to drink. The waiter also pressured him to drink. Carrie and his father had an argument and he offered to drive Carrie home. His father would not give him his keys. He left the restaurant and walked across a bridge. He spoke to some Hispanic people and he waved to the homeless. He got strange looks, he said. He saw a person on a bicycle make a wide detour around him. The bicycle, quote, went backward, end quote, and turned into a street on the left. He started feeling like he had a force field around him and nothing could harm him. This made him feel again like he had superpowers. While walking home later, a street light went out and he panicked because he thought evil forces were trying to get him. He ran to the nearest light, which was a pizza shop. 
he saw a veteran, he was wearing an Air Force hat anyway, and his two teenage children getting into their truck. He asked, can you guys give me a ride to the shores? Although they looked at him strangely, they allowed him to ride in the bed of the truck. Smart people, you could have been stabbed. They dropped him at the entrance to his neighborhood. Asking strangers for a ride was unusual behavior for him, but he was driven to it by fear. He feared an evil spirit like the devil would kill him. On Sunday, August 14th, while at a gun show with his father, Carrie and his friend Sam, he purchased a knife for protection. He felt a heightened sense of fear and a need for protection from everything. He became fearful of both people and animals. He chatted with the vendor at the gun show about survivalism, which was out of character for him. He chatted with another vendor about how to handle himself in hand-to-hand -hand combat. He asked what he should do if he were attacked. The man then showed him a physical stance to take and what hand movements he should make as well. He described feeling that he was a protector of other people and at other times he felt vulnerable and fearful. He shifted back and forth between feeling invincible and fearful and vulnerable. He also began to wear his grandmother's stone cross on a thin chain for protection. Even though family members told him it looked too feminine for him, he insisted on wearing it. He took it off only after his father told him to. He spent money more lavishly than he ordinarily would. I mean, he purchased a $300 Fitbit for himself. Sometimes you just have to treat yourself. When he wore his Fitbit, he felt like the Terminator who could terminate evil. He believed he was a cyborg, part robot, part man. At the gun show, he purchased a sticker for Sam and one for himself and a ring for his girlfriend, Kate. The sticker he bought said, don't tread on me and had a picture of a snake. Everyone knows what don't tread on me looks like, right? I hope, guys. He put this new sticker on the roof of his car because his car was black and he wanted something light on it. Since he viewed dark as evil, he was not happy that his black car, a Kia Soul, was so dark. He associated his own soul with the Kia Soul, and he did not want it to be all black. He purchased some snake jerky at the gun show. He believed that he was destroying evil by eating the snake jerky. He based this on the Bible story in which a snake deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. When I asked him about some of the Google searches from his computer, the psychiatrist said he researched charisma because one of his goals was to become a great leader. He also researched hallucinations because he was having strange experiences while waking up and falling asleep. He researched mania because he was worried about himself. I showed Mr. Haruf his handwritten journal. When I asked him about his statement that he would be worshipped, he replied that it was because he, quote, felt like Jesus, end quote. Some more information from his computer revealed by the FBI. These are all searches, and they range in dates from 731 to 811. And some of these are very interesting. So here are the searches on his computer. Five surefire ways to overcome fear and anxiety. Same, my dude. Beat the anxiety trick. How to overcome chronic anxiety. 
How to spot a guy on steroids. What does it mean when people sell their soul to the devil? How to sell your soul to the devil? Selling your soul to the devil. I mean, I would also search like, how much am I going to get for my soul? But that's just me. What am I crazy really means. How to know if you are going crazy. Tree of knowledge of good and evil from Wikipedia. 10 ways to develop incredible charisma yet still be yourself. I'm going crazy. Depression, generalized anxiety, panic, and bipolar disorder. I think I'm going crazy. Am I? Question mark. If you have to ask, probably so. Schizophrenia. Auditory hallucinations when falling asleep. How to relax my mind. Think you're going crazy? A beginner's guide to psychosis. You might as well have searched, you know, a dummy's guide to going crazy. How can I be more intellectual and have more intellectual conversations? How to switch off an angry person. The World of Psychology website. Difference between mania and peacefulness. He also began researching philosophy, religion, and the Illuminati. He became preoccupied with philosophical and religious ideas. He studied philosophy, Tony Robbins, Lincoln, and Krishna, and he became interested in Ying Yang. He shared these ideas with Leo Bartolucci, a friend of his father, during their hour commutes back and forth to the Florida Atlantic Dental Office where they both worked. Austin believed that he could manipulate the water while sterilizing dental instruments at work. He believed the water served as a source of power for him. The water would sculpt to my hands. The water gave him added energy, which would go inside him. He believed that he could bless the water, which would cause it to be sterile. He concluded that he was so special and that no one else could direct water the way that he could. Um, have you heard of Jesus, sir? He developed a belief that he would be the next great civil rights leader. He started fasting like Gandhi. He changed his phone screensaver to a picture of Gandhi. He wanted to unite everyone and believed that he had a special charisma. He indicated that he could talk to anyone without caring what they thought of him. He thought he was really talented, not just as a rap musician. Oh goodness, I did not know he was trying to do all that. He believed he could accomplish anything he wanted to do. He said that he thought he had superpowers within him. He felt like he was Jesus. Oh, there we go. He walked in a slow, harmonious manner like Jesus. He felt a responsibility as a Jesus-like person to try to solve the problems of other people. He began to wear light clothes because Jesus wore light clothes. He was attracted to light, as we said before. He felt that if he wore dark clothing, it would make him evil. He believed that if he woke up with sunlight, it would give him energy, like he was being recharged. He would associate dark with the lack of clarity and with evil. He became fearful in the dark. He believed the devil had power in the dark. He kept the lights on even when he slept. He was known to say that he could be an advocate for Black Lives Matter and his caring for people and loving everyone. He said others told him that he was unrealistic about becoming an advocate for Black Lives Matter. He responded, you can be anything you want. 
In an interview with his girlfriend, Mrs. Katie, sorry, Miss Katie Alexander, said she officially began dating Austin in April of 2016. She described him as initially shy, although he opened up with her. Austin told her that he was anxious being with other people, but around her, Austin was funny and outgoing. She said that during the summer of 2016, she visited Austin three times in Jupiter, and he visited her in Tampa about three times. Austin started making videos of songs for her um, for YouTube, which she thought was weird. He smoked marijuana nightly, which she did not approve of. During one visit to her home, she observed Austin have an episode of sleep paralysis. He appeared to fall asleep and his eyes were closed, but he kept whispering, Katie. He was not moving. When she shook him, he snapped out of it and he told her he couldn't move because his body was paralyzed. He mentioned that a demon whispered something to him in a visit to her home. She seemed scared. She did not know if it was a nightmare. During a June visit at her house, Austin said he couldn't sleep and seemed shaken by hearing something. Toward the end of July, Austin repeatedly asked Katie what her purpose was. He kept bringing it up. He said, my purpose is to help people. What's your purpose? He talked about being a leader and said he did not care what people thought about him and talking about his sixth sense and that he had a gift to do good for people. During Austin's last visit to Tampa, August 4th, Austin was more quiet than usual. He purchased a book by a motivational speaker. He read some of it out loud to her. He seemed disconnected. He would type little notes in his phone related to his rap songs. During the visit to Tampa, Austin said, I can see people's pain. He commented that there was pain everywhere and he focused on homeless people in particular. He said, I have a gift to help people with their pain. After the visit, Katie and Austin video chatted and texted. Austin had changed from his usual joking demeanor to being very serious. He talked about walking his dog, which was different because in prior visits, he seemed to have no interest in his dog whatsoever. Some of his texts were sent during the middle of the night. He texted her that she had helped him with his withdrawals. He was referring to the fact that he stopped smoking marijuana and that he had resumed eating normally. He said that marijuana was killing him. He was drinking water instead of Diet Coke. Toward the end of the summer, Austin told her that he was going to dye his hair blue to win a $100 bet. She told him, don't do that. Two days before the brutal attack, Katie had a video chat with Austin. He mentioned that he went to a gun show and he had purchased a ring for her. He appeared to be very serious when she said, what happened to the joking kid that you used to be? She told him, you're scaring me. Are you okay? She cried and was concerned that she might have done something to cause him to be so cold to her. Austin said, I'm cold. I was born in December. She said she knew that. And he added, I want to leave a good memory on earth. In one text, he called her a bitch. And when she reacted, he said, so sorry. I'm going to read some of his text messages to Katie in no particular order. They're all interesting in their own ways. I've never felt better. I'm honestly the happiest I've ever been and it feels great. I believe in myself. 
I don't care about anything, and I don't think anything possibly bad that can happen to me. I think I'm going legit crazy. It's like I can hardly sleep. I'm dyeing my hair blue for $100 for two months. I want to prove to myself that I can do it despite if I get weird looks, you know. I know it's hard to understand and it's even harder for me to realize what I am doing, but I am literally making the impossible happen. I realize that my life purpose isn't really to be a rapper, but just be a good person. That's what I really want to be, a person like Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Jesus, but not exactly them, myself. The thing I know I am happy, but I see all the pain people have. I know, babe. I'm sorry you think I'm so strange now, but I guess I'm following the purpose to my life. It's to give people life, to give people hope. The funny thing was, I didn't know I was sad. I kept convincing myself that I was happy, but yet I kept getting depressed. It made sense, but it didn't, you know? I don't think I'm going crazy. I'm just evolving, becoming more intelligent, thinking that I am worthy to just help others with the pain they have. I'm no longer afraid of anything. I'm no longer afraid to die. Everyone will remember me as a great figure, but I'm just a living example of what we all do. True hell is trying to live forever. I'm just doing what I feel, you know. I quit all the drugs and almost got trapped, but I found beauty in everyone else. You've helped me get through my withdrawals. I don't need drugs anymore. I've been so weird these past days. I sort of lost myself, but I'm back. I feel genuinely good, and I'm not sad anymore. Now we're going to get back to some of the facts of the case and the aftermath when Austin was taken to the hospital. According to the police, whenever they were arresting him and finally had him in control and in custody, he told the officers, please help me. Help me. I ate something bad. And when the officers asked him what he ate, he said, people. Wow. And then he proceeded to spit out a chunk of human flesh. He was overheard saying that he ate humans. And I asked Austin what kind of drugs he had taken. And he said, I do not use drugs and that I could drug test him. Deputy Eric Day heard the suspect making high-pitched screaming and gurgling sounds. And again, he said, please help me. I know I ate bad things. I ate humans. Lori O'Loughlin, an EMT, heard him say, kill me. EMT Kevin Moore asked Haroff if he took anything. He replied he smoked some weed and drank some alcohol. And Moore observed large chunks of flesh still in his teeth. Andrew Johnson, another EMT, stated that Austin was screaming, Fuck you! Just kill me! I want to die! Fuck America! Just kill me now! From the St. Mary's Medical Center records, it states the patient was brought in by the police after reportedly stabbing three people. He subsequently started eating one of his victims. He was brought in howling and making animal-like sounds, 
writhing in contortions, and was not able to provide any form of history. He was handcuffed and had to be sedated. He sustained lacerations to both hands and reportedly also nearly severed off his right thumb. When he was admitted, he was mistakenly labeled as a probable drug-induced psychosis. He was violent, combative, and had serious injuries to the nerves and muscles of his hands from stabbing his victims. He had a serious clot in his arm. He had profound metabolic derangements and inflammation of his esophagus and stomach from when he drank the random caustic liquid from the garage. His blood pressure dropped precipitously, so he required emergency treatment. He couldn't breathe and an airway had to be inserted. He was placed on oxygen and he required multiple blood transfusions. He had pneumonia and failure of his liver and kidneys to function properly. He was unable to swallow and had to have a feeding tube inserted in his stomach. He had an infection in his colon and he had blood clots in his brain. He was in a coma for almost two months while he was rehabilitated from his injuries. Upon waking, he was noted to have headaches, double vision, and drainage from his right ear. He needed speech therapy, and upon discharge, he needed supervision because of impairment in his comprehending things, memory difficulties, and reduced ability to solve problems. So now we're going to talk about the court proceedings, of which there really haven't been any. And you might ask, how is that even possible? Because this happened in 2016. Well, there were lots of psychological evaluations, both by the prosecution and the defense. And I think they had a total of three or four psychologists examine him. And actually... The psychological evaluation by the prosecution shows that he is definitely not sane. The defense, of course, is going to show that he's not sane, obviously. But the fact that the prosecution's own psychiatrist and psychologist said the same thing, you know, that is damning evidence that this kid had no idea what he was doing. So when he was finally supposed to go to trial and the trial was supposed to commence, that's when COVID hit. And they've been dealing with delays from that ever since. He is still behind bars. He is taking medication regularly. And his parents are doing everything to help him. Let me remind you, this was a 19-year-old kid who before his, I want to say, psychotic break or something like that, He was just a normal college kid, and his parents had considered in the past couple of weeks before the incident trying to get him committed under the Baker Act. Dr. Gregory C. Landrum, the prosecution psychiatrist, says that the report concludes the manifestation of Mr. Haruf's psychiatric illness resulted in a psychotic episode so acute that two innocent people were killed. Two other mental health experts have been consulted, with neuropsychologist Michael Gamache contradicting the other findings. 
He says that he does not believe that Haruf met the legal standard of insanity during the crime. Dr. Philip J. Resnick, MD, and Professor of Psychiatry and Director of Forensic Psychiatry, stated in his report, In summary, it is my opinion with reasonable medical certainty that on the date in question, Mr. Austin Haruth, as a result of a severe mental disease, did not know that his conduct was wrong. Now, after hearing all the facts of this case in its entirety, from everything I could scour, every affidavit, every court record, all of the psychiatrists and psychologists' interviews, it is in my opinion that he is insane. That he did not know what he was doing. He was definitely having a break with reality, and it was obvious to everyone around him, although they did nothing to stop it. So thank you for listening to this wild ass ride and I hope that everyone is still enjoying the podcast. I know it's been a minute since I've posted one, but with a full-time job and a daughter, I kind of get off track. Sometimes I have tons of cases in the work and I get off on a tangent researching one when I should just be focusing on the one that I'm on. So Thank you for listening, and please, please give me five stars on Spotify or iTunes. I'm on literally every platform you can be on. Um, Thank you again. I hope you enjoyed this case as much as you can, and I will talk to you next time on This is True Crime, y'all.